Seven Seconds or Less, a podcast about the NBA and the Phoenix Suns. My name is Max McCulley, a.k.a. Podcast Boy, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host, David Nash. David, it's been a little while. How you been? How's your trip? It has been a while, Max. Uh, I'm on the back end of a two-week trip, as you just said. It was it was okay, but work is work at the end of the day. But uh, mm. a little jet-lagged here, which should be interesting for, for the pod. Hopefully, I don't say anything too ridiculous or, or fall asleep halfway through and, and get non-responsive to Hopefully you. Hopefully, for our entertainment, you do say ridiculous things. <laughs> uh, but fortunately, we have reinforcements today. We brought in a guest. Our guest for today's episode is an NBA draft writer for The Stepian, as well as the relatively new host of The Stepian's fantastic draft podcast, along with the great Mike Gribbenhoff. His name is Ross Homan. Thanks for joining us, Ross. Hey, how you guys doing? Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Besides, so you've been how long have you been the host of The Stepian podcast now for? Like a few weeks? Yeah, only about four episodes, I believe, now that Jackson isn't able to do it anymore. Yeah, we're, Jackson went to a front office somewhere. <laughs> I actually don't know where. Did, they, did he say yet, or is that still a secret? Yeah, I think it's still a secret. So, <laughs> Well, that's awesome. I love Jackson. But uh, happy to have you here. It's exciting that you've gotten that opportunity. I know you're going to kill it with it. Yeah, Ross is doing a, a great job on that one, Max. And it's been great to listen to him and Mike on some of the, the lesser-known prospects that I am definitely not up with at the moment. So uh, for any Suns fans or anyone else listening who haven't listened to that pod, if you, if you want to scratch up maybe on some guys at 32 or... Uh, later in the draft that the Suns might take. Uh, definitely jump on board that one. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, we brought on an actual NBA draft expert for our 2019 NBA mock draft, <laughs> which we're going to do with a, we're gonna do with a, I call it a seven seconds or less style twist. So Ross and David are going to trade off picks and you know give their explanations for why they picked each player with each team. Uh, and by the way, they'll be picking on what they think each team should do, yep. not what it will do. Although within reason, right? They're not going to take Brandon Clark at number two like I would. <laughs> uh, they're going to do things that the uh, teams might actually do. Um, and then after each pick, I'm going to either react to the pick, uh, probably for the guys we've spoken less about because the listeners have heard enough about guys like Zion and such. Mm-hmm. So for guys like Zion and such, I'm going to, instead of reacting to the pick, I'm going to bring up like a Suns-related or a league-related news story. As we've talked about earlier, David's been gone a little while. We've been on a hiatus for the podcast, so we have a lot to catch up to. So we're going to throw that all in there. We're also going to do seven seconds or less scattered throughout, and David might throw in a couple did-you-know facts. It's going to be fun. I'm excited for this, David. Yeah, I'm really excited. As you said, we're going to jump straight into it and kind of mix our normal format throughout and get a a lot of Ross's opinions too, because as you said, he's a far greater expert than you and I on this whole draft, and hopefully he doesn't show me up too much in this mock draft that will (laughs) probably go around the lottery, I think, Max. Yep, that's about what I'm thinking. It's about as far as I can go before I don't know who the players are anymore. (laughs) Uh, So, uh, without further ado, Ross... You won the fake coin flip. You're going first. Don't, don't keep us all in suspense, Ross. Who are the New Orleans Pelicans? 
Uh, I'm going to go out on a limb and take Zion Williamson at number one. I think everybody knows this is a pretty obvious pick right here. He's a what I would call a generational talent, and uh, yeah, very very easy pick. Memphis are devastated right now, <laughs> absolutely devastated. I know. They thought they had a chance. <laughs> I was actually kind of hoping we'd get to see a Jaron Jackson and Zion uh, front court, but anyways, New Orleans is obviously looking to trade Anthony Davis, and they're getting a very easy transition here from one centerpiece to another centerpiece so yeah part of me is like that's not fair that they gotta have two generational talents in a row given that they screwed up the first one <laughs> but it is a whole different front office and the city deserves it so I'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna give him a pass but uh let's move on to our first sons related tie-in here so john gambadoro who recently unblocked me uh <laughs> from 987 <laughs> local radio Lucky you. Lucky you, Max. Yeah, lucky me. Thank- well, it's only good because now instead of having to go into our podcast account to, to see what he says, I can just look at my own account, <laughs> which is nice. Um, but anyway, so uh, somebody who's often compared to Zion Williamson, Julius Randle, apparently, according to John Gambardero, is interested in playing for the Phoenix Suns. Uh, let's go ahead and start with David here. David, what do you think about the idea of Julius Randle playing for the Phoenix Suns next year? Uh, can it not happen, please, Max? That would be <laughs> my my initial reaction. But, you know, there was mixed feelings all over the timeline on this report. And, you know, I, I can certainly understand the people that are pro bringing Julius Randle on the team, even though I don't really agree with it. Um, you know, you and I essentially kind of harped all season long on various episodes about this team needing more NBA caliber players on it so I can see the argument why people are like if there's a guy like Julius Randle who wants to join the team why would you turn your nose up to that but as I'm sure we're about to get into here there's probably many reasons that you would turn your nose up at it Max yeah I certainly think so before I before I got into my idea though Ross what do you think as someone who's not a Phoenix Suns fan someone who's just an NBA person who probably isn't evaluating this directly from the vantage point of the Suns. How do you feel about Randall? And then if you can, if you have any thoughts on it about Randall's with the Suns. Yeah. So, uh, Phoenix is sort of in a tough spot because they, you know, you always want to get as many good players as possible, but I just mm-hmm. really am not a fan of the Randall and Aiden fit. You know, it's, it'd be a pretty poor defensive front court. You kind of want to put a rim protector with Aiden, somebody that can shoot a little more. Uh, so I'm definitely not a fan of paying what would probably be long-term money to, Randall just really don't like to fit there yeah long term and probably somewhat big money yeah I think that's a great point by Ross and and, and you there Max is yeah I think it's something that sounds okay in June in theory and then July comes along and you kind of see the cost of it and probably some of the other alternatives that were on the market and that's where you kind of go hang on a minute not sure we made the best choice there but probably by far the biggest concern for me would be it would kind of be signaling you know, how the new regime thinks we should play around this young core. And as Ross noted, it would probably be long-term money for Randall. And I just think him with the core of Aiton, Booker, and Mikhail is pretty suboptimal. You know, he's another poor defender in the starting five, below-average shooter, even though, you know, some have noted improving there. And probably, worst of all, another ball-dominant guy, which is something that I definitely don't want with this young core, Max. Yeah, I think my issue here is... You know, and there's been some pushback on certain people on Sun Twitter who are saying things along the lines of like, "How could you possibly push back against an upgrade if you're a Suns fan right now?" Like, you know, we've had yeah. we haven't won 25 games for five seasons in a row or whatever it is now. Like, how, how can we possibly push back against a player who's clearly a good NBA player and and is an upgrade in one sense of the word? So 
My, my pushback on that would be, uh, it depends on how you view the word upgrade, right? Like, is it an upgrade in just pure talent? Sure. But for me, I, I view everything in terms of how do you make the Booker, Aiton, McKell core into an eventual every season contender. Yeah. And hopefully a title contender, but at least a playoff contender. And if, if, you know, if you view the word upgrade that way, I think it's very easy to make an argument that Julius Randle isn't an upgrade. Because, first of all, opportunity costs, he will cost at least in the low eight figures and possibly $15 million a year for several years, as, as Ross pointed out. And as you both did a good job pointing out, he, he's a good player in his own way. He's a good individual scorer. He's a good rebounder. By the way, those are the things Aiton does well. <laughs> uh, but he's really, he's really bad at defense. He's like one of the worst defenders. I think Evan Sidery, uh, one of our friends, made the point, maybe even somebody else, that Aiton and Randall were the only bigs in the league who didn't have at least a block and a seal playing a certain threshold of minutes. That, that's not good. Um, and, and then you also have the questionable shooting. You know, he was better last year, but career-wise, not great. And then you have the waxing winning effort level, which I'd put, you know, as, as kind of the final nail in the coffin, like the, the, the three things you don't want next to DeAndre Ayton. So, so, yeah, again, if you only view upgrade as, is he better than what the Suns had last year at the spot? Yes, he's better than Dragon Bender. I, I will grant you that. But is he really, given the costs he'll take and the fit, is he really an upgrade in terms of will he help this core develop? That's a pretty strong no from me. Yeah, exactly. I, I really strongly disagree as well with the with this whole notion of, you know, disregarding team structure and, and just taking what we can get as Suns fans. As I said, I think it would be a move that we would soon regret, even though there might be a few people happy with the, I guess, immediate upgrade versus someone like Dragon Bender, as you said, Max. All right, let's move on to the next selection. Memphis number two, David, who are you taking? This is a really tough one for me. I, I think both you and Ross know who I, I like at number two on my big board. If I was just following straight off my big board, I'm sure most Suns fans listening also know who I love at number two. But, you know, there is the question of the value of the pick, the general consensus around the league with RJ Barrett and Ja Morant. So probably the first thing I'm doing here, Max, and, and I'm picking every even number pick here. So I'm going to lean on you to play the Lakers here. I'm going to call up the Lakers and see whether there's any interest from them in trading up to number two from number four at the moment. Oh, wow. I did not expect this, but let's go. I'm ready. I am uh, I am Rob Palenka, so let me get my weird hat on. <laughs> <laughs> So what do you say, Rob? Is there any interest in, uh, we're on the clock, are you are you interested in trading up to number two, uh, I guess, to, to maybe get someone like RJ Barrett or Ja Morant? Well, one second, can I can I three-way ping in uh, David Griffin uh, as Ross here and see if the if the Pelican have interest in number two? Because <laughs> that's my answer from the, uh, from the Lakers. Well, you've definitely, you've got the angle there right from me. That's kind of what I'm going with here is maybe the number two pick and therefore RJ and Jar is, is a lot more attractive in a package for Anthony Davis. So yeah, let's let's throw to Ross there as David Griffin. And uh, is it any more interesting to you uh, for a Davis package there, Ross, if, if either RJ or Jar is in the package for Anthony Davis? Um, <clears throat> yes. <laughs> It would be just from a get as many good assets as possible situation. Uh, yeah, mm -hmm. if the Lakers were able to move up to two, it would definitely bring uh, additional value for the Davis trade. Yes, yeah, so let's look at it. Let's, let's do it this way. So David Griffin, aka Ross, which of like the young core of the Lakers do you not like very much? Like, you, who's like the one that has a lot of value, and I could probably swing to Memphis, but like you would rather me trade number four and this guy for number two. 
Uh, I would probably go with Lonzo as my favorite, so not him. Um, okay. And then, I mean, if it was possible to swing Kuz, definitely Kuzma. I'm somebody that's a little lower on him. Memphis, where are you at in Kuzma? Well, wow, Ross just got me very excited by saying Lonzo Ball there. I was, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was about to, to ring in the trade call, and then he, uh, he let me down gently. But, uh, yeah, I mean, with this trade, uh, as I was saying at the top, I, you know, I'm, I'm looking to draft Jarrett Culver and, and get really any asset out of moving back. I think I was initially probably hoping for maybe a future first-round pick from the Lakers. But, yeah, I, I would take Kuzma as, as part of this deal because I'm still getting the guy that I want. However, there is one other phone call that I need to make to make sure that the Knicks don't stuff up my plan here and, and take Jarrett Culver at number three, Max. But, uh, yeah, if that was the framework of the deal and we're all happy with that, I, I'd be looking to, to get that one done. Uh, Ross, would you take Culver over Barrett? Can we, can we do this? Ooh. Now that you're acting, no, no, I would not. No. Okay, so we can make this deal then. So the the parameters are the Lakers are trading Kuzma and the number four pick to the Memphis Grizzlies for number two. Is that right? Yep, I'm I'm all in on that. And I'm guessing Morant's the one who's going to be picked here to go to New Orleans in the Anthony Davis trade. Yes. Okay, there we go. So that's this is a quite this is quite a thing. I don't know what's happening. This is fine. So Anthony Davis is coming to the Lakers, I imagine. And basically, we'll just trade you like everything. So number two, which is Morant, you get Ingram, you get Lonzo, uh, I guess Hart if you want him. I don't know why you would, but if you want him, uh, and there you go. <laughs> That's true. That, that was fun. This is, it's exactly how I kind of imagined it going down, Max, which is interesting because, you know, we're not faking anything here. I did not bring this up with either you or Ross before jumping on the podcast. So quite interesting to run through that one. But Ja Morant and Zion Williamson together in New Orleans is very interesting. Yeah, since that'll probably never happen. (laughs) Ross, give us your analysis of what that would look like. What what do you think it would be like to have Zion and Ja together? (laughs) I would like it. I trust Ja to be at least good enough as a catch-and-shoot guy, and same with Zion. And um, obviously they played AAU together when they were younger, so I'm sure they know each other decently well. I know some people are a little worried about Morant being able to scale back usage, but he had no problem with that his freshman year, and I think that's that concern is a little overblown. So I'd be very happy to have my uh, starting core with Zion and Morant. It's certainly be exciting. I mean, that's the team I'd want to watch the most in League Pass, I think. That'd be insane. <laughs> All right. Well, maybe for the uh, the formalities here, Max, we should get Ross to to make his number two and and three pick, and then you've probably got a couple of other topics for us to jump into here. Yeah, let's go to Ross. I, I'm, yeah, I have to save my John Morant. We, we went up on John Morant, so I'll save my thing on him. But yes, uh, Ross, go ahead and make your picks at two and three, and then uh, and we'll move on. So yes, for two, I'm picking the, for the Pelicans, correct? Yep. Yeah. So I'm picking John Morant at number two, just because kind of want to swing big on the upside and then like I said I like the pairing with Zion and then he'll be able to learn under Holiday and that'll help take a lot of pressure on him at first so I definitely like the fit between that team mm-hmm. and then uh how about New York so yeah let's go to move on to New York here New York's sitting at three New York's pissed off because Anthony Davis is gone they had the Kyrie <laughs> thing happen already they're not getting Kyrie they're already scared Kevin Durant's like not returning the text anymore <laughs> so what, what's New York gonna do here I'm still going with RJ he has uh Good upside, and then also just being in a big market, it's always smart to factor in trade value just in case because you never really know. Obviously, they're not; it's not looking promising for them with like the top tier free agents. But um, just when you combine RJ's ability and then trade value, RJ at three is pretty 
easy for me right now. Yep, it makes sense to me. It's what I would have done. Uh, speaking of R.J. Barrett, Canada is sort of in the news in the NBA world right now. <laughs> yes, they are. The, the Toronto Raptors might win the title. Let's start with Ross here. Ross, if Toronto pulls this off and, and beats the Warriors, uh, you know, Katie or not, whatever, where does this rank for you in terms of surprise champions since, I guess, since you've been alive? Decently high, just when you go all the way back to, like, the trade to begin with was a surprise. So, mm-hmm. like, just factoring everything from a far-out lens is pretty high because, obviously, Durant getting hurt is not expected. Uh, Iggy's playing hobbled, Looney. And then just, yeah, that trade to begin with is, like, the more you look at it, the more absurd it was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they were think. Yeah, I agree with Ross. I think it's funny. I've seen a lot of stuff on on Twitter the last few days as as the Raptors, you know, win off these games and and look one step closer. And and maybe by the time people are are listening to this, they may even be the eventual champions. But Masai's getting a lot of credit here for what I thought was a pretty no-brainer trade at the time. You know, great to leverage it and, and get the best deal. But, you know, I remember discussing it at the time with you, Max, is kind of it was really a no-brainer in the fact that they could just rebuild if if Kawhi walked away and they got off DeRozan's contract and really didn't give a hell of a lot up, didn't have to give Pascal up, didn't have to give OG on an big up. Um, so, you know, just a great trade, but I think we're maybe overplaying it just a little bit in terms of the, the heist that a lot of people have said and, and just how smart Masai has been. But, you know, a, a quick did-you-know aside here for you, Max, I went back and listened to our predictions episode and... Did you know I basically got everything wrong in that episode except (laughs) for the fact that I tipped Toronto to at least come out of the East and I also tipped that to be on the back of a a mid-season trade to put them over the top. So I'm feeling pretty good at least about those two predictions from our uh, pre-season predictions episode, Max. Yeah, that's pretty damn solid because the Marcus Hall trade absolutely (laughs) was important. I don't think they're they're here right now without him. Because uh, people kind of forget that Toronto was had to go to three overtimes against Milwaukee even to get here. Yes, uh, in Game Three where they would have gone down three zero, like that very easily could have been Milwaukee series. So you know that's kind of the way the playoffs work. It's great. Uh, just to quickly answer my own question, then move to number four. I, I mean, I think it's an incredibly big surprise. Um, before the season started, people, some people were you know saying Toronto was like a sleeper here, and and I get that, but like. I like to take it more like go back to be you know remember remember last uh, playoffs when LeBron swept Toronto mm-hmm. in like the most embarrassing possible way because people thought Toronto had a chance in the series <laughs> and LeBron beat them in four games. If I would have told you but right after that series ended that Toronto would win the title the year after that, you would have just straight up not believe me. Yeah, you would punch me in the face and, and, <laughs> and laugh at me when I cry on the ground. So uh, it's amazing. I love it. It's great. Um, I hope it happens. Uh, as David said, people who are listening later may have already known it happens. Uh, all right, number four, the Memphis Grizzlies moved down. Uh, David, <laughs> this is another obvious pick because I know who you are, but who, who is Memphis taking, David? It is an obvious pick. So before I go to that, I'll, I'll follow up the did you know with a, you know my, one of my famous quizzes that I like to put you on the spot with, Max. God damn it. Uh, Ross can jump in here and be very impressed if he can get one of these, but there's been four players that have played for Golden State, Toronto, and the Phoenix Suns, Max. Can you name me one of them? Let's go to, let's go to Ross on this one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, I have no idea. Did Barbosa ever play for Toronto? Hey! Got one. 
Got one. All right, I'm going to retire there. You asked for one. <laughs> yeah, the other three are Jermaine O'Neal, Mikhail Petrus, and Corey Blunt. Jesus. Mikhail Petrus, what a name. <laughs> yeah, so now we're up to pick four, uh, which is essentially now Memphis's pick, as we all know after that little exchange <laughs> earlier on in the episode. So we are now going to take who we rated as our number two prospect and got an extra asset out of it, uh, Jarrett Culver from Texas Tech who is my favorite player in the draft outside of Zion Williamson. And there's probably not too much more to say on that because everyone listening has probably seen and heard me go on about him more than enough, Max. All right, Ross, here's my question on Jarrett Culver. I don't know if you saw, I think it was a little while ago. I don't remember how long ago, but Jarrett Culver said that the player he studies the most in the modern NBA is Jamal Crawford. Uh, aside from the fact that Slayer has given Culver's David's favorite player in the draft and, and Crawford's my least favorite player in the entire league, <laughs> how much loss do you think we should factor in what players say about themselves into, into this kind of thing? Like, should we care that Culver said that he studies Jamal Crawford? Probably not because, I mean, if you take away specifics out of like Crawford's just skill level, it, it's not really a bad thing, but... Culver just naturally has a lot higher of an IQ and plays tough defense and just I tr- I, I wouldn't really worry about it as much as long as like the film doesn't really back it up which in his case it doesn't. Dave, what do you think? I had a feeling this one might come up, Max. <laughs> I, I'm with Ross. I don't put a lot into it, to be perfectly honest. I think as us amateur scouts, particularly you and I, Max, you know, we, we tend to you know, take more from these things because they're the only bits of information that we're getting. What I would say is it's probably important that the team, you know, in an interview setting with Culver finds out about, you know, how he sees his game because, you know, particularly for someone like Culver and why I'm so high on him versus, say, RJ Barrett, uh, and Ja Morant is because, you know, I really see Culver as being able to fit in as a secondary playmaker, uh, not demand the ball so much, play good defense, kind of do everything that particularly the Suns teams needs, which, uh, you know, RJ and Ja, I think, are a little more alpha and, and feel like they need the ball all the time. So, you know, if Culver shows some red flags in, in that sort of setting, I'm definitely getting a little bit more worried about him translating to the NBA or, or at least developing how I hope he would, but I'm not going to put too much into his comments about Kobe Bryant and Jamal Crawford because I think, if anything, it just it's one of those moments where I feel really old again, Max, and realize how young these guys are and, and probably <laughs> how little basketball they've seen outside of, I guess, the current day guys. And, you know, you probably don't want to compare yourself to, you know, current day guys, although I guess Jamal Crawford technically is still a current day guy, hopefully not next year in a Phoenix <laughs> Suns uniform. <laughs> Yeah, I, I totally agree with both of you guys. If it were like indicative of a, a trend of either the way he plays or just the things he repeatedly says, maybe I'd be concerned, but a one-off little comment, not going to concern me. Particularly the Kobe part of it, because I, I, I wouldn't actually read where they came from. He said that his favorite players growing up were Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant. Welcome to every other NBA player. <laughs> <laughs> they all love those guys, so not, not concerned about that. I, I guess the Jamal Crawford tape thing's weird, but seems like a pretty easy thing to straighten out pretty quickly. Uh, all right, let's move to number five, which I kind of view as like the wild card pick of this entire draft. Yes. It's Cleveland. Ross, what's Cleveland going to do? Yeah, so um, this is not an easy pick now that the Lakers didn't actually take Garland, but uh, <laughs> I would probably just go with Goga Batase because he's my best player available. And, you know, Cleveland is not in the place to draft or fit at all. Uh, and, I mean, besides, it's not like the front court is very good anyways outside love. Thompson's decent, but... um. 
yeah, I just really like Goga. I would really like to see him in a beeline offense just with how good he is on the perimeter. Not He's not like a great perimeter, but for center he is. He's a probably going to be somebody that shoots, uh, could improve as a passer, but isn't by no means a bad passer. Yeah. And I'd be a little worried with Sexton being their long-term guard at the moment, defensive ceiling being capped, but I actually think Ogus pretty good on that end with, uh, he's obviously going to have to play drop coverage, but all around, I think he's going to be a positive, uh, especially throughout regular season defensively. So, so two quick things on this. First, I love the pick for Cleveland, particularly because Cleveland's such a wild card. I don't know what the hell they're going to do. I think they're a major trade down candidate uh, with Atlanta. Yeah. But uh, also, I, I'm glad you brought this guy up because I've heard a lot of people that I trust really like him, and I barely know how to pronounce his name. And have watched like I, the only time I've really watched him was just watch him shoot really well in a workout video. <laughs> uh, because you know he's a center, so I don't think the center's going to take him. So I don't focus too much on him. But, but Ross, just real quick for the listeners who like me haven't spent a ton of time on this guy, what's like. If he really works out, if he reaches a 90th percentile plus outcome, what is he doing for an NBA team in the playoffs? We've kind of seen it with these playoffs, how, like, Gasol, obviously, super high IQ, so he's not, he's kind of an outlier, but um, a lot of the bigger, like Jokic even, although he's offensively, if you have quick hands and good reaction time, you can be, you can be, have a little more leniency on your slow foot, but... Mm -hmm. He's he's really good offensively. He's not going to be like a Jokic level offensive kind of guy, but um, not like a Max Vert guy, quick leaper. He's just as simple as it sounds. He's just really good at basketball all around, and he's going to have obviously some problem in the playoffs. But at this point in the NBA, like pretty much all bigs have problems in the playoffs. So I'm not terribly worried about him long term playoff wise, just because I think he's really good enough to you know downplay some of the factors that go against him in a playoff setting. David, what do you think? you have any uh, Goga Patatse? Is that right? Thoughts? <laughs> I, I've seen people say it as Goja, so I'm going with Goja. But uh, yeah, I'm not going to... You know, we're not going into pronunciations on this podcast, Max. He's an interesting one for me. I, people who follow me for a while like, or even listen to the pod for a while, I can't remember whether I actually brought him up on one of the episodes or not, Max. But yeah, he was a guy that I was looking at as a draft and stash uh, last draft for the Phoenix Suns until he withdrew because his stock was was pretty damn low. But when I went back to, to this season's worth of film, I was just kind of flummoxed at at the difference in player. Ross, I'm not sure whether you kind of saw that, that stuff from him, you know, maybe 18, 24 months ago, but he looks a lot thinner, a lot more fleet of foot. As you say, he's still not overly quick on that end, but that was probably a major concern of why he was uh, pretty low on people's boards last year. But, you know, what he's done this season from a production standpoint compared to last, even in a 12-month jump, has been pretty phenomenal. And, you know, this would be obviously a surprise uh, to see him taken this far up in the draft. But, yeah, I like the pick for Cleveland here because, uh, yeah, they're not really tied to too many guys probably shouldn't even be tied to Sexton, but you know, you should be taking best player available on your board. So I I appreciate Ross doing that. I like the Sexton shot. I think it's definitely like a trade back spot, especially if Culver's gone. But um it's also it's kind of a draft too where like how realistic is it to trade back? Because I mean who are these later teams really targeting up top? Yeah, I think uh, I think Cleveland's the team that would trade back though because they have uh, you know reportedly have weird interests in this draft, and I could see Atlanta being the team to try to come up for Culver, right? If he's there and break David's heart, <laughs> um, 
But we'll, we'll see on that one. We'll, we won't break David's heart early. Uh, let's move to David, though. David, number six, uh, the team called the Phoenix Suns are on the board. Uh, your man's gone. So where are we going? Uh, I, I'm kind of glad, again, that it's fallen this way because I think it, it kind of makes the point that I wanted to make here for Phoenix. I kind of expected for Garland to be off the board, which would have just strengthened the point. But, you know, somewhat here with Garland still on the board, I think there's a discussion to be had around, you know, not just taking a guy because of a, a, a suited need uh, that a lot of Suns fans have pointed out, particularly at point guard. And again, I'm going to stick with BPA on my big board here, and I'm going to take Brandon Clark for the Suns, Max. Yes! <laughs> so originally, we weren't going to talk about Brandon Clark very much because I don't think they're going to take him, but... Uh, our friend Mike Notham on Twitter just uh, retweeted, I don't know what it was, was it a Snapchat or Instagram pic or something, of uh, Brandon Clark showing that he is in Phoenix right now. Yep. He took a picture of himself in the Suns gym, presumably for a workout. Ross, we'll go to you. Should I get my hopes up? Is there any chance in hell the Suns would actually do what David just did and take Brandon Clark at number six? It really seems like it's trending to the point where like it went from a zero possibility to at least a little bit of a possibility. Um if Culver is gone at five and they don't like Kobe, there's really no like set position or set area for them to go. Mm-hmm. So it, I feel like it's a little bit more of a possibility than it seems to be. David, what do you think, man? Do you think I know you just picked him? Do you think now we got this little picture we just got? Uh, do you think there's actually a chance to take him? Uh, yeah, I really do. I think that maybe they might try and get cute and trade back. Um, but, you know, I'm a guy that looks for clues, and they interviewed him at the Combine. Uh, he's from Phoenix, and now he's in their facility for what I believe is only their second individual workout behind Jarrett Culver. So I'm sure there's more workouts to come. But, you know, we can only look at the clues that are in front of us at the moment, and there's, there is serious interest there uh, from the Suns. Again, I'd, maybe if McD was still the GM, I'd, I'd think that they were maybe foxing a little bit and, and playing games because I think he liked to do that. But I think this regime's a little more straight up and down. They kind of know what they want. They're going to be pretty black and white with their processes and really only have interest in the guys that they're, they're really interested in. But, you know, Max, particularly if we, you know, look at it going Zion, RJ, Ja Morant, Culver, and maybe Garland at five. Uh, it hasn't gone that quite that way on our mock so far, but you're kind of looking at a spot where you're like, you know, what do the Suns do and, and who do they take? And again, I would forget fit at this point of the draft and I'd be taking the guy that I am uh, the most confident in being a, a good NBA player going forward. And right now, at least for me, that would be Brandon Clark, Max. Yeah, for the Suns, he's also a fit. It kind of knocks a lot of, uh, takes a lot of boxes. Yep. But uh, I, I love how you brought up McD because I think there's no chance in hell. I would not have my hopes up at all if McD was still a GM. Not only because he likes to screw around, but also he likes guys who are bad at basketball who might be good later. <laughs> he doesn't like guys who are good at basketball now. That's not, that's not his thing. <laughs> he, <laughs> he hates guys who are good now. I think now now would be a good time to throw in my nickname for uh, Saku Dumboya, which is uh, an ode to you, Max, because uh, I believe you gave me this idea that his nickname is R.I.P. McD for that very reason that you just pointed out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. If he were still a GM, we'd actually have to worry about that. <laughs> but, uh, all right. What's sort of you, Ross? Number seven, Chicago Bulls are on the board. Uh, they just had the second best player in the draft go before them. So, what are they going to do uh, now they're devastated? Yeah, so I feel bad for Chicago in this situation. As, just because they're a lot of the players that are left 
are uh, the ones that I like at least are front court, and Chicago's pretty much set on the front court. Mm-hmm. But if I was here, I would definitely just go ahead and take Kobe White. It's a team that I'd kind of prefer to have an attacking point guard, one that can get to the rim a little better than Kobe. But at this point, you know, they're, they don't really have a point guard. Dunn is decent, but their front court with Wendell, Lori, Otto Porter, it's a really set good front court, and I like the fit of those guys a lot. And there's a little bit worry about, like, Kobe's creation area, which is understandable, but you can also run the offense through Levine, Laurie, and Wendell a little more, too. So I like the fit, but just wish there was a little bit more talent here at number seven, Mm -hmm. but it's not really possible in this draft. It's not easy in this draft. So, yeah, I would just go ahead and take Kobe White at seven. Yeah, Kobe White would have been a great pick for the the Bulls at number 14 if they had that pick (laughs) Yeah, Ross, uh, I mean, we've talked about both of these guys at length, um, so I'm interested to get your thoughts because I keep flip-flopping back and forward on them as I watch both of them as well. So you had both Darius Garland and Kobe White available here for you for the Bulls, uh, and they need a point guard. So uh, what's what's your kind of differing measures on taking Kobe White over Darius Garland? What What's kind of your feel on both of those two as prospects? I have Kobe, I think, just one spot higher. They're pretty much right next to each other for me. Yep. But I'm, Mike Gribbenov actually put me onto this sort of thing, but Garland... It's obviously a small sample size, but you can include like AU in this also. Garland is not great at improvising. He kind of mm-hmm. is consistently setting out of pick and roll, which obviously is a big deal in the NBA today. But Kobe, I trust a little more with his improvisation, which I want in a point guard, being able to like break down late shot clock. And I trust him a little bit more as a passer as well. Mm-hmm. But they are very close for me. But just those two things make me lean Kobe. Interesting, Max. I, I'm not sure where you've fallen on them at the moment, Max. I've got them in a tier all by themselves. Um, and yeah, hardly separated at the moment and, and may even flip on them again before the draft. But uh, what, what order do you have them in at the moment, Max? Um, I don't remember what my exact rankings, but I have Garland quite a bit higher. And I, listen, I, I acknowledge all the problems with Garland. I think there are, is a lot of downside risk with him. He's, he's really one of the biggest boom-bust projects I can kind of remember. Yep. Because he really knocks out of the park two of the most important skills you can possibly have, which are the you know the off the dribble shooting and then the great handle. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then he's really bad at a lot of other things, as Ross pointed at a few of them. And then the thing with Kobe White, I mean, I'm, I'm more sure he'll be an NBA player, but I'm less. I don't really see any star upside with him. It'd be shocking to be a Kobe White to star. Like, what does he do? Let me ask you this, Ross. Maybe you agree with me. Maybe you don't. Is there anything Kobe White does that makes you think there's a possibility he could be a star? Um, no, but with Garland too, just, I feel like he'd have to become a complete outlier shot maker, kind of like McCollum to get that level. And that's something that I try not to bet on. So, but yeah, no, I do agree that, uh, Kobe does not really have a path to like being a true star unless he also hits that threshold of complete like outlier shot making. So you're pretty damn low. So where do you have Garland like actual like ranking wise on your board? Um... 13 right now. Wow, so that's real low. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, David, you don't have them that low, right? No, I've got them both 6 and 7 at the moment and, and kind of interchanging. I think it's a, a good point by uh, Ross here in terms of, I think, at least for me, this is where the line is where you've essentially dropped off a level to guys that just might project to be decent 
uh, players, role players in the NBA. Uh, I guess Garland has that slight chance, as you mentioned, for me as well, uh, at, at being a star in the NBA if everything goes 100% right for him. But, you know, for the rest of the teams we're about to pick for here, you, you're probably looking for, for nice role players rather than star upside from this point onwards, Max. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. I, I think I'm a lot higher in Garland than you guys are. I, I have him, he's like four or five or something like that. And I, I don't, I think it's weird because I don't want my own team to take him. I just think the Suns are not in a position to take a guy like Garland right now. But I think if I were, I mean, if I were like some somebody like, who is nothing on their roster right now? Uh, maybe even like Washington. If Washington got the third overall pick, I would probably take Garland there. Um, so I just, I just swing up for a home run of power them. But anyway, let's move on. Uh, we're at Atlanta, David. What are the Atlanta Hawks doing with the first of their three picks in the top 20? Uh, very interesting situation here with Garland on the board because there's absolutely no way you can pick him uh, with Trey Young as your starting point guard. I'm, you know, always BPA to a certain degree uh, with my drafting. You know, they've got a nice young core with Trey Herder. Uh, you know, even John Collins at power forward, a few other nice pieces. But I think Trey's the only one there that you wouldn't look at uh, just drafting a guy that plays a similar position. I don't think Herder or Collins are anywhere near good enough that you wouldn't bring in another guy at their position, but Trey certainly is. So Garland's probably off the board for me, which leaves me with probably a few wing options, uh, probably either DeAndre Hunter or Cam Reddish, um, maybe have the chance of getting both with another pick here at 10. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with DeAndre Hunter as the solid pick here for Atlanta at number eight. Ding, ding, ding. You hit on our first seven seconds or less question. I give zero shits about DeAndre Hunter. <laughs> all right. So all my seven seconds or less questions are going to be about uh, basically comparing two off-season results for the Suns. Okay, two different scenarios, what you prefer. So we'll start with Ross here. Uh, on this one, the scenario uh, plays out where the Suns have like about 50 million total in space under both scenarios. So just, just a background information. All right, so number one, Suns draft Culver, Jarrett Culver, split their cap to sign Darren Collins and Ed Davis and then re-sign Kelly Oubre. And the second scenario is they trade number six and Josh Jackson for Spencer Dinwiddie. And then with the PG spot already filled, they signed Miritich and re-signed Kelly. So basically, would you rather get Culver and then get like kind of like a okay PG in a power forward? Or would you rather trade the sixth pick in JJ for Spencer Dinwiddie and then with a the PG slot filled, they get like a better power forward? Um, so Miritich was actually one of the names I was thinking about earlier with giving maybe a little bit of overpay in short term instead of Randall. But I, I would still go with Culver here, that option one, just because... He has more upside than Dinwiddie. Obviously, there's a chance that he might not be as good as Dinwiddie currently. But um, with a team like Phoenix, I'd still rather play the upside card. And I really, really like the fit of Culver, Michael, and uh, Booker with those three. Because I'm on the path where I would like to see them use Booker more as the lead guard or keep continue to do so. And I think Culver can be a really good secondary. And then also just having two really good defensive wings surround Booker is ideal, so I would definitely go with A. David? Yeah, I mean, by putting Culver in that option, it's pretty hard for me not to pick that one, Max. But <laughs> Ross just made both of us happy there by saying Booker should be the primary initiator, which is something that you are very much uh, on board with. And I'm becoming on board with with a guy like Culver and Bridges on either side of him is a massive reason of why I would love Jarrett Culver on the Suns. But it, particularly if Culver or Clark are on the board at six, I, I'm definitely not uh, trade the pick. 
um, scenario for the Suns. And, and, you know, if you can get guys like Darren Collison and Ed Davis in uh, shorter term to f- plug those gaps whilst keeping another prospect, which, you know, we need to keep bringing that, that youth through and, and seeing who we can hit on here because we need more uh, stars on this team. Booker and Aiton aren't going to be able to do it all by themselves. So uh, I'd definitely be going with option one there. I'm with you guys. It's actually pretty. It's probably closer for me than it is for you guys. I think Dinwiddie and Miritich would just help an incredible amount. But uh, it would be awesome. It would be very awesome. Don't get me wrong. These are the two good scenarios. My my questions later will be less good. <laughs> Enjoy this one. <laughs> uh, all right, Ross. Let's move on. Washington Wizards. I think the underrated loser of the lottery. Going number nine. What are they doing here? Before you go, Ross. I'm going to jump in here as the Boston Celtics mm. and see if there's any interest in the Washington Wizards who need plenty of youth on their roster to take 14, 20, and 22 off their hands for pick nine. 14, 20, and 22? Mm, pro- That's what you offer, David. You can't make it no take backsies. <laughs> probably, shouldn't have, uh, probably shouldn't have showed all my cards from the start there. So, yeah, let's, let's go with that. Um, yes, absolutely. <laughs> I, I would do it if we want to, if we want to rescind it a little bit, I, I would do it for 14 and 20. I would do it for 14 and 22 also. <laughs> you, you've, you've saved David, me there you, a little do bit. You want, do you want to throw in Jason Tatum, David? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I guess to make my point here, well, if, if Ross is, is willing to go with the 14 and, and 20 and save me a little bit, I think if a guy like Darius Garland is sitting on the board, high upside guy, I could see the Boston Celtics who probably really shouldn't use all these first round picks for their own roster. Uh, Trying to trade up, you know, there was that story a few years ago of Ainge trying to offer probably more than I just offered to get up for Justice Winslow. And I could see him doing a similar thing Mm -hmm. in this situation. So uh, if we did execute that trade, I would go ahead and draft Darius Garland at number nine for Boston. Ross, I want to hear you react to this. I I mean, first of all, I'll just real quick say that I would love it. And I would be like, Boston's the smartest team in the world to this. But how would you react to this trade if Boston made it? Because I know you're not a Garland guy, but Boston's a notoriously good, uh, I say notorious, everyone hates Boston. A notoriously good team at developing players. So, how would you feel about this trade if it happened? I think value-wise, Washington would be the winner. But Garland in Boston would be a lot of fun. Being it, being around bigger wings, also, I was actually considering Garland probably was going to take him here at nine. But uh, just the value of moving back to find guys that are similar, because like my tier three, which is around like six through twenty or so, is it's all so close in this draft. So. You know, you could convince me Garland, like team wise, if he was there at four for the Lakers, he'd be higher. He'd be higher than my actual like personal board at thirteen for somebody like the Lakers. So I would like it for both sides to a certain extent. Um, definitely more for Washington, just because more picks and asset in a draft like this. But Garland would be a lot of fun to watch in Boston for sure. Yeah, it, make, it makes all the sense in the world to me. All right, real quick, I want to throw in another one of our little uh, Suns tie-ins because I had this for Darius Garland. Players very little like him, but I just want to talk about point guards here. <laughs> so Malcolm Brogdon was asked about his future with the Milwaukee Bucks. He sounded not super certain that he was going to be back there. Ross, we'll start with you, then go to David. What do you think about Malcolm Brogdon's fit in Phoenix? I, I would I would like it a lot. Anytime you can get a player that is good with a high IQ, good shooting, uh, good, def- good defense, yeah, I would definitely be a fan of that. He'd probably be one of the top two or three semi-realistic targets for Phoenix, in my opinion, for free agency. David? 
Yeah, he, he might be the hardest to obtain for the Suns here, Max, and also, therefore, probably the best fit on the Suns because we can't have nice things. But, <laughs> you know, he's, he's 26 years old, 42% from three last year, pretty good defender that can guard multiple positions. He's 6'5", with a 6'10 wingspan, I believe, Max. So, wow. yeah, he kind of ticks all those boxes that we've harped on about for a long, long time about what you want next to Devin Booker. So uh, it's hard to see the buck not matching, you know, offers that are, you know, south of, I guess, 16, 17 million dollars, at least in my opinion. So you get to a point where the Suns have to sacrifice quite a lot, even just to open up that kind of space for that offer sheet. So it's a hard one to see happening, but I would be all for it, Max. How about you? Uh, yeah, I think the problem is, I, mean, I totally agree with everything you just said. And I think the problem is you're probably going to have to like basically put Milwaukee in the luxury tax to get him to not match. Yeah. And I and like I don't know, I haven't looked at the exact numbers of Milwaukee's cap, but I know it's gonna take a lot to do that. It's it's like a near max to do that. And if you're paying Malcolm Brogdon the max, you're kinda getting rid of the value that you are requiring because that's a lot of money. Exactly. <laughs> so yeah, I think I think he's less realistic actually than people maybe think he is because he's kind of like a one of the smaller ish names, I guess, but it's really, really hard to obtain him. I, I think D'Angelo Russell, who we'll get to uh, is actually a lot more realistic whether or not you like him or not. It's, it's just more, I can see more ways where it happens where the Suns will get It him. would be an interesting comparison if Milwaukee were in a similar situation to Brooklyn where they might renounce Brogdon to sign someone else. Then it becomes a really interesting discussion between uh, D'Lo and Brogdon and, and who's the better fit. But we'll get on to Russell a little later, as you said, Max. Yep. Uh, all right, let's go on to the second of Atlanta's two picks. David. What's Atlanta doing next? Well, my board here was Cam Reddish, Grant Williams, and Goja, who has already been taken at number five for Atlanta. So I think you start to think fit a little around, you know, I, I drafted DeAndre Hunter, I got Trey Young, Collins, uh, Huerto at, at shooting guard. Do you go the upside of, or potential upside of Cam Reddish versus, you know, maybe another role player wing in Grant Williams, I think probably the fact that I took DeAndre Hunter at eight, uh, I'm going to go the upside play here, which I think Travis Schlenk would definitely do. And I'm going to go Cam Reddish at number 10 for the Atlanta Hawks. I actually kind of like that a lot. Ross, I want to get your thoughts on this one. This is one I was going to skip in terms of player analysis, but now I'm interested. Cam Reddish and DeAndre Hunter together, to me, it's like you, you put the, the super safe guy with the super not safe guy and just see what the hell happens for Atlanta. I actually kind of like that. What do you think? Yeah, anytime you have a point guard like Trey, it's always good to just stack up on as many wings as possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I definitely, yeah, I agree with that pick. So let's move on to my uh, my not Cam Reddish-focused uh, thing then. So Ricky Rubio, there's a report similar to Malcolm Brogdon's, although I'd say even stronger. Mm-hmm. I think he said it to the Spanish media that he doesn't feel like a priority in Utah and sort of was suggesting that he will not be there next year. He was told he wasn't a priority, Max, is exactly what he oh, said. Oh, is that what he said? He was told that. He was. Oh, wow. He was told that. Jeez, well, that's, a, that's tough to hear. <laughs> uh, <laughs> David, I, I know you previously were a big Rubio fan with Phoenix back when, uh, well, I won't even bring up his name. Uh, what do you think about him now as a fit? And, and also versus the other guys he's spoken about. 
Are, are we just going with the, the thou shall not be spoken about name from now on in relation to... Yeah, the, the Voldemort approach with uh, the Voldemort approach. <laughs> the coach who shall not be named. I'd definitely be a lot more uh, in on it if uh, he who shall not be named was still around because I think the link there would just be you know, too hard to ignore. But, you know, for me, I, I kind of cut him off at our current space. So it's around 10 million. So if you can get him in, uh, particularly on maybe like a two-year contract, maybe with a third-year option of some degree, uh, if you can get him in for that kind of money, uh, I'm still into the idea of Ricky Rubio. If it gets any more than that, I think you need to pass. His market will be interesting. There's not too many teams that need a point guard uh, like him for their current starting five. So maybe the option of just starting and okay money would be enough for, for Rubio. I think lots of people have, have kind of noted that he's regressed a little bit defensively, but I think he'd still be kind of the best point of attack defender Phoenix have had since, you know, probably Eric Bledsoe, but even a couple of years ago, Eric Bledsoe, when he was actually engaged for the Phoenix Suns. And, you know, we, we really desperately need a, a stabilizing force in that starting five and someone who can kind of command the team and, and run the show for, for the new coach. So that's kind of where I'm at with Ricky Rubio, Max. Ross, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, he's a good, good NBA player. Uh, he's definitely, I agree with what David said about the contract. I definitely would want to try to keep it as short of a contract as possible, but he's one of the better stopgap options for Phoenix right there, just to see how maybe Melton develops, and then next year is a pretty good guard class. So it, it as long as you're not overpaying or giving him too many years, I would definitely like the option there. I'm glad you brought up the Anthony Melton because I feel like Suns fans have kind of forgotten about him. <laughs> yeah. uh, he didn't have a great like last month of the season, I suppose, but he definitely flashed more than a lot of our young players have flashed in recent years. David, I'll, I'll, I'll throw to you on this one. Like, Anthony Melton still somebody Suns fans should be caring about, right? A hundred percent. And I think he's going to be a guy that Monty Williams really cares about. You know, I've just got a hunch that the way that DeAnthony Melton plays is going to really fit in with the type of guy that Monty Williams is going to want out there on the court. He's smart. Uh, he knows what he can bring to the team, and he stays within that lane for the team, and he plays great defense. So, yeah, I'm expecting that to be the type of guy that really flourishes uh, under someone like Monty Williams, who probably didn't flourish as much as we'd hoped under uh, he who shall not be named, purely because uh, that coach, uh, you know, really appreciated more point guard play out of that position. Whereas I think we could see Monty really specialize him in a role and, you know, see him really flourish, hopefully for the team next season, Matt. Yeah, and the other part of that I totally agree is that it seems like Monty's a little more pro Booker as lead initiator than uh, yes. he who shall not be named was. So Melton makes more sense <laughs> to him. Uh, Ross, real quick, where were you on Melton in the last draft? And uh, what were you, what did you see out of him last year? Um, I was pretty high on him. I actually had him as, uh, if I recall correctly, I, ha- I think I had him as my third point guard behind Trey and Shea in front of Sexton and Nakobo. So I definitely really, really liked him coming out. He was mm. one of the better point of attack defenders in the last few years. Uh, the shot improved a ton over like the two year span. So it's still, he's still on like a learning curve and still, you know, going to have his bumps like all young point guards do. But I really, really liked the fit next to Booker just as kind of like a 3 and D guy with some creation. And then as you've talked about, let Booker be lead guard. But mm-hmm. obviously it just kind of needs to come down to consistency and shot making for him. But I still am definitely in on him. All right, number 11. I think this is a fascinating pick for Minnesota because Minnesota is really a team that everyone kind of saw as like the next, the next one up 
And, you know, the Wiggins thing kind of poo-pooed that a little bit. But, uh, Ross, what are you doing here? What are the Minnesota Timberwolves doing with this pick? Um, I would actually take P.J. Washington in this scenario. Obviously, Brandon Clark should be their number one target, but he is not lasting till here. But, yeah, I would go with P.J. Washington here. So, t- so talk a little more about P.J. Washington because he's somebody who we haven't talked about a lot in this podcast. Yeah, he, he's a guy that's basically next up on my scouting list. So save me a bit of time and everyone here, Ross, <laughs> and, and give us uh, your, your mini scouting report on P.J. He's somebody who improved a lot from her freshman year to sophomore year. Uh, still a little bit worried about some defensive aspects, which the pairing with Towns is uh, a little questionable, but really skilled offensively, is a good shooter. The free throw percentage is, is a little bit worried, but um, I like his shot quite a bit. He shot, I think, 42% from three last year. Granted, it was not the biggest sample size. And then he uh, also is just... A re- Passing is maybe my favorite skill of him. Really good passer at the four position. Could probably project to be a dribble pass shoot guy from the four position. And I just all around think he's the best player on the board right now for me. Interesting. So where is he projected to go? A little later, right? Like maybe like later on in the teens. I think that it would be a you know a somewhat surprising pick of Minnesota took him. Is that right? I think I've seen him as high as 13 to Miami and then as low as, yeah, like 18 or 19. So okay. it's it's kind of hard to gauge the range on a lot of these players this year. Oh, it absolutely is. It's, like you said, it's kind of a mismatch when you get to the uh, <laughs> we get past the, the topical effects. Yeah. Uh, David, any thoughts on P.G. Washington or go ahead and go to Charlotte 12? No, as I said, it, it, a guy that I need to do a bit more of a dig on. So uh, good for Ross to give us a little bit of a window into him there, picking him at 11. But for Charlotte, uh, another interesting scenario here that, you know, they're either going to be rebuilding or retooling, Max. Uh, they may be able to reacquire Kemba Walker, um, particularly if they pay him all the money in the world that he wants. So I guess in that scenario, they'd be more retooling. Um, so I'm going to go with that. Uh, I'm going to ignore the North Carolina links here to a couple of prospects, and I'm just going to stick with what is both best player available and someone who I think can contribute right away for the Charlotte Hornets, and I'm going to pick Mr. Charity, Grant Williams from Tennessee. Um, I mean, I love it. He's a great player, but he's also somebody we've talked about a whole lot, so I'm going to go ahead and use this opportunity to use my John Morant thing. All righty. Uh, <laughs> all right, so... Uh, I don't know if you saw this, Ross. Uh, after the the trade happened with the the Atlanta and, and Brooklyn, with the, you know, to open up the cap space, there was some. I, I guess I would describe it as open flirting between Spencer Dinwiddie and Suns Twitter. <laughs> is, that, is that fair? <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> so what's interesting is, so if Kyrie goes to Brooklyn, I guess there's a chance that he, uh, D'Angelo Russell, and Spencer Dinwiddie all stay there together. I would categorize that as unlikely. Because it would be a lot of money to keep all three of those guys. Mm-hmm. So, Ross, assuming one of these guys is available, Dinwiddie or D'Angelo, and you're going after it as the Suns GM, which one of those guys are you going for? I think I would go with Dinwiddie just based off cost efficient. And um, I don't think they're too far off as players. Obviously, D'Lo's a little bit... Is D'Lo younger? D'Lo's a little bit younger, at least. But um, Yeah, three, three years. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, I'd go with Dinwiddie just because, like I said... It'd be a little more asset-friendly and uh, cost-efficient. What do you think, David? Yeah, I'm leaning Dinwiddie. It obviously comes down to what it would actually cost to, to trade for him versus the, I guess, potential cost to contract on D'Lo. But 
I think you're still looking at a, a pretty wide margin there of 50 or $60 million, uh, even though you would get an, an extra year out of D'Lo. So, you know, Dinwiddie's not perfect as a fit with the Suns, but he would definitely be an upgrade. And I saw a great point today on, on Twitter from a friend of the pod uh, and us on Twitter, Max, Mike Allen, uh, shout out to him if he's listening. But, you know, he made the point that, you know, the team still needs more creation and, and just putting role players around Booker and Ayton uh, might not be enough in the future. And that was kind of his argument for someone like D'Angelo Russell. I, I definitely agree with the point from a fundamental standpoint, but you know, I think that maybe they can get that extra creation or impact out maybe out of uh, a wing player or a power forward. I'm, I'm not so tied into that being from the point guard position. So yeah, I think that Dinwiddie archetype is, is totally fine with me at that spot. And I think he brings a lot of value for what is a pretty small contract. I think it's around three more years for $36 million and uh, he's got a player option, so maybe it's only two years at the end of the day. But, um, yeah, I'd be all in on that one, Max. Yeah, for me, it's a, this is a brain versus heart thing. And uh, <laughs> because my brain does this, it, my brain is my brain is going to go ahead and justify why my heart wants to take uh, D'Angelo Russell here. <laughs> and it, it's really because, although I agree with all your points made, uh, Dinwiddie's on a better contract, well, better than what you know, D'Lo's about to be on. Uh, he, in a lot of ways, uh, fits better with Booker, and at least offensively, you know he's going to be consistent in that way. D'Angelo Russell's the kind of the swing here for me. I, I get all the issues with him. He, you know, he's never been efficient as a scorer, largely because he can't get to the free throw line, like literally at all. Like it's shockingly cannot get to the free throw line. Like one of the worst, <laughs> one of the worst free throw rate guards I've ever seen. Yep. But man, the dude can really, really pass and shoot. And I, and I just think if you if you pair D'Angelo Russell. With Devin Booker on offense, and I'll I'll defend the defense in a second here, but on offense, like those are the, the Suns have not had a pair of guards who can explode that way, and I, I can't remember how long. Like they would they would be have the potential to like literally just take over games with the shooting, and, and the ability to pass from each other, and the ability to not have each other be you know because they're both used to sort of being uh, keyed on mm-hmm. as you know, kind of lead guards. I think if you have Booker be the lead guard and, and D'Angelo Russell be the off guard. Like that's going to be really difficult to defend, and, and I think the the Angelo Russell sort of negatives on offense, where you know where he's not the guy who can drive in and, and get and get fouled that kind of stuff late. Booker does that stuff, uh, so I, I think that they would be really good on offense together. And then defensively, although neither one of them has been a defensive stalwart, uh, and Booker's been one of the worst defenders in the league so far. Uh, my thoughts on the defense are w- well thought out here on this podcast. Like he's he's not a good defender now, but there's reason to believe he could be later. And D'Angelo Russell's actually really shown improvement already. So I think we've, we have enough reason to believe that we good. And has great size too, Max. You know, he's very similar. Yeah, both of them do. As we, as we noted with uh, the pod with Cole, I think, a few weeks ago, D'Lo basically is the same size as Jarrett Culver in terms of height and, and wingspan. So the, many of the reasons why I love Culver with Mikhail and Booker, you could, uh, you know, pass over to D'Lo. You know, we haven't seen Culver as a defender in the NBA, even though I'd be much higher on, on his defense translating. But, you know, at least with that size and a guy like Mikhail Bridges, who might be able to guard point of attack for you sometimes, there's at least some mixing and matching there you can do uh, for matchups when you've got that much size in your backcourt. Yeah, neither one of them is going to get picked on in the playoffs, right? Like you're worried about guys like Trey Young, Young and Isaiah Thomas, who's just going to get, they're just going to get targeted every single time they're on the court. Mm-hmm. I don't think D'Angelo Russell and Devin Booker are those kind of people. I, th- I think they're going to be competitive and they're going to be big. So 
All that being said, Ross, poke holes in my argument. You you picked Dinwiddie. Why why is D'Angelo Russell not going to work with Devin Booker? I mean, you make good points. Like, I definitely would not dislike D'Angelo with Devin Booker, but I'd just be worried about it capping your defensive ceiling and, um, you know, just how much space do the Suns have? They only have ten million, so they would have to they would have to make some moves. They would probably have to either stretch Tyler Johnson or or also possibly trade T.J. Warren and Josh Jackson like away for nothing. Um, which that's fine with me, but uh, they they would need to make some space. Yeah, um, I'm very like it, it was very close for me, so I definitely see all the arguments for D'Angelo Russell also. And I was curious, what what do you guys think it would take to get Dinwiddie? To get Dinwiddie, what do you think, David? It's a great question. I, I've got a, a follow up question, but I'll answer Ross's first here. You know, before Brooklyn did that trade with Atlanta, you know, I was thinking maybe something around trading back from six. Uh, and picking up a, a later first round pick and, and Dinwiddie and maybe something around that. But uh, it, it's difficult. I guess it depends what Brooklyn does in free agency, whether they value a guy like, I guess, TJ Warren, whether you give up just a future pick with a guy like Josh Jackson to match salaries. Um, it'd be it'd be very interesting. But I, I don't think Brooklyn uh, would essentially just give him away. I think if it got to a point where they needed to shed his contract, um, particularly because it is quite a good contract, Ross, um, I think they would be in a scenario where the Suns would have to offer up a pretty good deal. Max, you've probably thought about this one a little bit more. What do you think? My answer to this is the same as my answer is to a lot of these types of questions for a lot of teams, and that is, what do those New Orleans Pelicans want? <laughs> I, I think Brooklyn's still one of those teams that's trying to like position themselves. Yep. For a, for a New Orleans Pelicans possible Anthony Davis deal, so like if the if the Pelicans are interested in somebody with number six, yeah, you know, let's go. I think it's something like that. Um, so it's it's really hard to know. Ross, I don't know. Did you have an idea in mind when you when you asked that? Um, no, honestly, no idea. I was just trying to make the point that I think that D'Angelo and Dinwiddie are very very close to the point where it would probably come down to what Brooklyn wanted, and if I felt it was too much, I would mm-hmm. probably just roll the dice with Russell. Which is a nice segue into my question here, but Max, is there a scenario where this plays out really badly for D'Lo, where he does get renounced and then there's not much of a market for him and the Suns can get him for cheap, quote unquote? Um, you know, I'm thinking at the moment it's probably around four years, $100 million, but you know, is there a scenario where you think it, it can come significantly down from that and therefore be uh, a little bit more palatable for the Suns? No. Uh, straight up, no, I don't think so. <laughs> the only reason why is because there's so many teams with space yep. and not enough players. So I think if, if Brooklyn does end up renouncing D'Lo, it's not going to be on July 10th. It's going to be because they got their guys early, I, I would think. Mm-hmm. So I think that you know D'Lo gets renounced, I would think the over-under is July 2nd. It could easily be July 1st, too. Yeah. And uh, you know once that happens, it's going to be open bidding. I think Minnesota will be in on it. I think Orlando's in on it. I think Indiana's in on it. All the teams you've heard mentioned, I'm sure they're all in on it. I think the Suns have a great chance to get him because I think he would want to come here because him and you know him and Booker seem that they're really in on each other, but it, it won't be cheap. I, I don't think. Yeah. Okay, let's move on to number thirteen, Ross, the Miami Heat. What are they going to do here? They're they're interesting because I think they've been they've been rumored to be trying to move this pick to save some salary because they've made a lot of stupid fucking deals in the past couple of years. <laughs> uh, so what do they do here? If you're actually going to make this pick, uh, how do they make it? Um, I would go ahead and just take. Kevin Porter Jr. right here. Hmm. Kind of a divisive prospect here. There's a lot of people lower or a lot of people higher. He's one of the guys that is kind of just talented but hasn't really put it to fruition yet. But Miami is a place that I'd feel pretty comfortable with him Mm -hmm. 
being able to develop in a way that uh, he might not be able to in other areas. So I would just go with Kevin Porter Jr. here. David, what do you think? That's a really interesting pick, actually. I'm very low on Kevin Porter Jr., mainly for a lot of the reasons that Ross just brought up around being uh, quite a divisive pick. And uh, I've actually nicknamed him Ratbag, which is an Australian (laughs) slang term for you there for someone who's a a bit mischievous uh, and and has some character issues. So um, that's where I sit on Kevin Porter. However... We've talked a lot in these draft episodes around situation and fit, and if you're going to get the best out of the talent from Kevin Porter, which there's undoubtedly a lot there for him, Miami's actually a great spot. I, I really love that pick. Yeah, it's one of those things where, like, it's like the one spot you want him to go to the most. I, I think so Kevin Porter Jr., I mean, everybody who watches him can see it. He's graceful. That dude has a lot of fucking talent. He kind of reminds me of Cam Reddish a little bit, just an like, just insane amount of talent but no idea how to actually apply it to what he's doing. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if, if you're going to send him anywhere, Miami makes a lot of sense. Let's move to another seven seconds or less question, because I've only watched like, a game of Kevin Porter Jr. I can't actually speak intelligently on him. <laughs> Ross, we'll start with you again. So this is going to be another one of these, what's the better offseason result? What would you rather have if you were the Suns? First option, I call this the bad draft, good free agency option. The Suns draft Rui Hachimura at number six. And whoever you hate the most at number 32. So the worst possible draft. (laughs) But then they spend very responsibly in free agency. They get your favorite low-cost power forward target. Could be a menu. A lot of people like him, but sub in your favorite. And your favorite low-cost point guard option. My favorite's Tyus Jones if he gets uh, to unrestricted free agency because he gets renounced. Say if D-Lo goes there. You know, whoever your favorite low-cost would be. And then more depth, too. You get Seth Curry. You get, like, a great killer offseason. But your other option is you kill the draft. You know, they, they take your favorite prospect at 6-32. and 32. Mine's Brandon Clark, Grant Williams. But they're horribly irresponsible in the uh, offseason free agency. They, they get their least favorite overpaid player. It could be Julius Randle, whoever. And they, and they don't do well filling out the other holes. So, basically, what do you pick? Do you pick the F free agency or the F draft? <laughs> <laughs> miserable options here um (laughs) oh yeah i think i would go with the bad draft and good free agency just because you know it it puts you on the books for less money and you'll still have a at least a little bit more uh wiggle room with what you're able to do with assets and stuff like that even though you're not going to have cost control for the rookies that the rookies won't be really good to cross control won't matter as much there but um yeah, I, th- I think I would go with good free agency, bad draft, just because it gives you a little bit more leeway with decisions. David? I hate you for this question, Max. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, I mean, there's really no good choice here, but I'll go the other angle, just because I think the Suns are still in a position with six and 32, if it's a guy like Grant Williams, to add two really, really good young pieces. But, you know, we're talking, at least from my point of view, would be, you know, Culver and Grant Williams the bad free agency, depending on how bad exactly it is, you could always get off of or, or change in the future. And, you know, I, I'm still quite high on this pick number six if it falls the right way for the Suns. So I'd be looking to add, you know, another potential long-term uh, all-star on this team. So I'll, I'll go with that option, but I don't love it either way. There's no way to love it either way. Um, I think this pick was traded. Correct. Right, so number 14 is going to be Washington's pick now. Ross... Who was Washington picking number 14? Um, so I'm going to go with Jackson Hayes, who was actually the person that I was battling with myself between him and Garland for number nine. So 
pretty happy how that turned out. But um, yeah, I would, I would pick Jackson Hayes here. Yeah, I like that pick, David. What have you have you watched Jackson Hayes at all? I have watched Jackson Hayes through watching uh, a few Texas games, as we've mentioned on this pod before. I am a, a poor Texas fan. <laughs> So I, I did catch a few games during the season and then have, have watched quite a few prospects up against Texas as well. So that's kind of my window into Jackson Hayes at the moment, plus one or two other games uh, while I was traveling for Jackson. I really like him. I like him around this range. Uh, I like him going to a team like Washington now, I suppose, um, where he can kind of develop and, and has a... A, a spot to, to fall into if everything goes right. Um, I think he's a difference maker. Uh, I've nicknamed him Anarchy, uh, mainly because of his first name, uh, Jax, being the main character from Sons of Anarchy and the, the last bit of his name being Son. So that is my main point with him. But I think there's also a nice tie in there because uh, I think he can wreak havoc. Um, he's, a, he's a young guy, still developing, uh, still very much uh, fitting into his body. He's, he's very small up top in particular, but, you know, you watch him, he's got those eye-catching plays. He, he makes blocks from nowhere. He's great finishing around the rim. Um, I think he's a, a great modern-day kind of rim-running center. So, yeah, I think, you know, around this level of the draft, the late lottery, I think you should be t- taking a guy uh, with the upside of someone like Jackson Hayes over, you know, I guess a guy like Rui Hachimura or something like that. So, yeah, I'd be in on the pick, and particularly from the trade for Washington standpoint where they've, they've got a few shots at this in, in the lottery and a little bit later now after that trade, Max. Yeah, my take on Jackson Hayes is that if the Suns had taken uh, not a center last draft, and I'm not going to expand on that further, <laughs> but had the Suns not taken a center in the last draft, I would have been all over Hayes at six, I think. I think he would have been perfect to compliment, you know, a non-center from the last draft with this team. I, I really, really do like him a lot. I think there's a good chance he's going to be a good player. In fact, I think, I can't remember, uh, it was ESPN's like advanced stats person. I can't remember his name, Seth somebody. But he had him like the third pick in the draft or something like that. Like an insanely high ranking for this guy. Mm. Uh, I think and I think it was largely not because he might be a star, but it was largely because like it's hard to see how he's not going to be at least like a good player given his absurd size and athleticism. So... Uh, Ross, I like the pick. Yeah, Ross, give us a little bit more on Jackson. You know, I think you've probably watched him a lot more than both Max and I combined, and, and you've picked him here, and, and you're, our, you're our expert on the episode. So, um, yeah, what, what else have you got on Jackson Hayes? So he was somebody that went to high school near me, so I watched him a few times in high school, and he grew about like five or six inches from junior year to now, and people were kind of shocked when Kentucky and Texas offered him to begin with just because he wasn't that great in high school. But um, He was a football player, right? Yeah, yeah, he was. His dad is a uh, tight ends coach somewhere. I cannot remember where. But, yes, he was a football player. He's a wide receiver. But he I, think he, so I think he has a little more upside than he's giving credit for right now. Mm-hmm. Seven-footers with his kind of like coordination and fluidity – are pretty rare and then some, some people are worried about the assist numbers but that's sort of just like a shock a smart offensive thing he has actually shown pretty good passing chops and i have him in my top 10 i really like him i think that he has really good touch he was mid-70s from free throw i think he has at least a little bit of upside if he gets familiar with shooting threes to potentially be like a average pick and pop kind of guy so i'm very in on him yeah yeah, I think it's unanimous. We like Jackson Hayes, so congratulations, listeners. We like a guy who the Suns have no chance of taking. <laughs> All right, I have one more seven seconds or less question, and then I think we're done here, right? Yep. All right, 
One last one. This is kind of a weird one. <laughs> would you rather, we'll start with Ross again. Would you rather the Suns, if you were a Suns GM, would you rather trade the number six pick in the draft, the Bucks pick, and a moderately well-protected future Suns first? So, like, you know, it's probably going to be a late lottery pick, but it could be, you know, a disaster and go really high. Uh, as you trade all that, you get number three pick to take R.J. Barrett, or do you just stay at number six and take Kobe White? Whew. Um... <laughs> I think I would stay at number six and take Kobe, personally. Uh, I don't love the fit with RJ and Booker, both kind of guys that project to be lead guards and not great defensively, although Booker, like you talked about, probably has at least a little upside. And same with RJ, but um, I, I would stay at number six because I also like the top end of the class next year, so I, I'd be comfortable with staying at six and taking Kobe. David? I'm going to go opposite again here, Max. Uh, I don't mind that deal specifically because I'm still quite high on RJ Barrett. I think, you know, obviously I've got Jarrett Culver at number two, which automatically makes people think that I I don't like RJ, but I've clearly got him as my number three prospect in this draft. I've actually moved Brandon Clark up one spot over Ja Morant, uh, but I don't think I'll ever get to a point where I can move Brandon above RJ because I still love him as a prospect. And, you know, we've mentioned it many times. You've given me another opportunity to hear at some point, the Suns are going to have to stop drafting young players and draft picks won't mean so much. So if you're, you're really high on RJ over especially someone like Kobe White on the Suns, then uh, I think you do the deal. Yeah, for me, the kicker is the fact they have to take uh, <laughs> Kobe White if they stay. <laughs> yeah. That's what makes it easy for me. <laughs> Ross, I, I feel like I did you a bit of a disservice with that trade uh, with Washington and Boston here. So, you know, we've got you on here for, as our draft guy. So, you know, you've got those picks 20 and 22 as well in the draft. Who's a couple of sleepers you've got for us here that Suns fans should be looking out for, even maybe with our pick 32? But who would you pick for Washington at 20 and 22? For guys who are there, I feel like Okiki, Chuma Okiki probably won't end up going that high. Um, mm-hmm. But for where Washington is, I would just be, you know, getting best player available and drafting upside. So Taylor Horton Tucker is definitely a name in that range that I would be looking at. Nikhil Alexander Walker in that range also. If Romeo Langford falls, but I very highly doubt he'll drop that far. <laughs> the 20s is where I start to differ very much than uh, what consensus seems to be among like Intel-based drafts. So it's kind of it's kind of hard for that question right there. But even somebody like Tyler Hero, like mm-hmm. there's there's a decent amount of guys that are going in that range that. Uh, Washington could come away with and I'd be pretty happy with and, and a few names for Suns fans to to look into for maybe possibilities at 32 all right that's it for us hey thanks so much Ross Ross plug into the you want upcoming episodes upcoming articles what you got coming so I am currently working on a team based uh it's not really a mock draft it's I'm, I'm doing a team board for every single team all 30 teams in the NBA all 60 picks Jeez, really <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me and Ricky are also of the Stepian are working on that currently. So it'll it'll be pretty long. We're about twenty five hundred words in. With still, I think like twenty teams left. So yeah, that's a lot. we're we're currently working on that. <laughs> that should be coming out within the next week or so. And then obviously I'll have my big board coming out within the next week or so. Just wrote a article on my favorite. Second round sleeper in the draft, Alan Smilagic. So that just came out. If you guys want to check that out over on the Stepian. And then also just continuing to do weekly uh, podcast episodes on the Stepian as well. Could you say that name again, Alan who? Smilagic. He is. Smilagic. Yeah, he's 
a G League player currently, but was not old enough to actually be drafted. So it's kind of like a guy skipping college and signing a G League year. He's just uh, Serbian. Mm, so. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I went smiling just everybody. Uh, YouTube them. <laughs> All right. Well, so that's it for us. Thanks so much, Ross. Uh, I am Max MTC11 on Twitter. David is at the Four Point Play on Twitter. Please rate, review, and subscribe. We always appreciate it. David, thank you. This is fun. Thanks, Ross, and thanks, Max. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, of course. See y'all later.